Today's episode of the Gold Cast is sponsored by Winning. Raymond, the 49ers are back. The team we love, the team we support, the team that we have stood by through thick and thin, through the good days, through the bad days, through an incredible start to this decade. A team that started off this decade with bright lights, big futures, three NFC championships in a row, Jim Harbaugh, an incredible coach. Then going through the, the trials and the tribulations of the middle of this decade to finally watching Kyle Shanahan in his third year deliver the team we were promised the day he signed a contract and joined this team franchise with John Lynch. That this is the team we were promised. It wasn't the team I envisioned, but they're here. They are back. This entire episode is dedicated to what happened last night because last night, I feel like the 49ers may have arrived. But before we get started, Raymond, why don't you let them know? Where can they find us? You can like us on Facebook.com slash The Goldcast. And you can also follow us on Twitter at The underscore Goldcast. And you can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher. All under the same title, The Goldcast. Like, subscribe, and comment because we have a lot to talk about today. Oh, yeah. And later on this week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, Raymond, let me ask you, where can they find you? If they want to talk to you directly, where can the people find Ray Solis? You can follow me on Twitter.com at Ray Solis, and I'm also on Instagram at Ray Solis one Although, if you hit me up in the middle of the day, there will be a delay in my response time because I'm at work in the middle of the day. Nice. You can find me at Rudy Solis 3 on Instagram and Rudy Solis 3RD on Twitter. And you can uh, reach out to me whenever because I have an insane schedule. I don't I don't know if I ever work. I, I work all the time and then I never work at the same time. I literally work every day, seven days a week, but it's it's an insane schedule. So I'm always available. <laughs> Raymond, it's time. Man, what a game. I can't wait. We are going to get into it. This is going to be our reactions to Monday night's dismantling, Monday night's destruction, Monday night's teeth kicking in of the Cleveland Browns. What a game. Your professor of fanalism is here. Raymond, the greatest fanalist in the game is here. Class is in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom. Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III. And with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. Boom. Oh, Raymond, so good, so good, such a good game. The team we were promised is here. I've already said the, the win. The win I expected to happen happened. Uh, Matt Raymond, you know you expected a gap. You said, I believe you said thirty-four seventeen, right? Yeah, I think I said thirty-five seventeen. Yeah. Uh, I said thirty-five thirty-one. 
we got 31-3. <laughs> Jeez. We did. I, I, we did. And they didn't even put up the same fight as the Bengals with, you know, I know that the Bengals actually never really put up a fight. They had one garbage time garbage time touchdown to John Ross III late in the fourth quarter on a really bad uh, read and a busted coverage play. And then with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, I think it was a, a little bit different too. But uh, but I was thinking kind of the same thing, that there'd be some garbage time scoring, you know, because that's what the defense had been giving up. You know, that's the, uh, a pattern I'd seen lately. But this one just really... Our defense never gave Cleveland a chance to breathe. They They kind of, from all the rest and all the preparation, they just really kind of sealed the deal on this one from the first possession to their last possession. And we'll, we'll read the, the possession line for Cleveland. Cause it's uh pretty bad. Very bad. This, this game was so impressive on so many levels. I would say the only frustrating part was probably special teams. We had some issues with a lot of those snaps, but, but overall an incredible win. You know, it's really interesting it's really interesting. Richard Sherman's talked about this. Did you see the mic'd up with Richard Sherman, by the way? I saw the mic'd up, and I also saw the press conference, post-game press yeah. conference. Me too. I love Richard Sherman now. It's weird to say. <laughs> he is actually such a team guy. He's such a team chemistry guy. I had no idea. had no idea how much of it. He is a team chemistry guy. He's a leader out there, and... He he kind of talked about this too. You know, the lead up into this game after Cleveland putting up, you know, 40 plus points last week was that Cleveland was coming to San Francisco, that they were they a similar team to the 49ers. They're trying to make that jump and that they were coming that that offense was coming in here to 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 make a statement. And that statement was 3 points. <laughs> in, four, in four full quarters. And so then again, then the conversation today is that the Browns are, are just not very good. And I find this really interesting. The when the when when the Browns won last week, they're coming. When they lose to the 49ers, they're not very good. The Bucks, we beat the Bucks. Well, the Bucks aren't very good. Then the Bucks dismantle the Rams. Oh no, they're actually pretty good. I just find it really interesting that when the 49ers beat one of these teams, they're not very good. But if that team beats someone else, no, they're actually pretty good. Have you noticed that narrative? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Patriots. The Patriots look so good this year. They have the best defense this year. You know, they're not. They and every team they played has stunk, and they've dominated them. But when we do it, it's like, gosh, are they are they really that good, or or is that team just really that bad? Exactly. It's like they can't make up their mind. I'm like, no, a, a good team will will expose a really bad team, and that's pretty much, with the exception of the Pittsburgh Steelers game, that's what we've done to every team this season. Absolutely. Leading up into this, it was a lot about the Browns. This was the big test for the 49ers. Can the 49ers do this again after the bye? Can they beat this offense that seems to really be finding its footing, this high-powered offense? Can the 49ers withstand the barrage that Baker and OBJ and you know Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb, can, can they withstand the offensive barrage that this team is capable of? And the, and the answer definitively without question is not only because we withstand it, we shut it down. Nick Bosa, the coming out party for Nick Bosa, the coming out party for the San Francisco 49ers, the coming out party for the run game, 
The coming out party for Jimmy G holding it down. The coming out party for Kyle Shannon to show what he is capable of when he has the team he had the team he wanted when the team is healthy. This is three years in the making. I love how Max on first take said he said, you know, he comes to the 49ers and suddenly they're good again. Uh, if you've been watching the 49ers for as long as we have, they've been good. The offense has been good ever since Kyle Shannon has been here, and he's had nobody. Wait, wait, go, re, 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 uh, what did Max Kellerman say? I didn't see, I didn't see, uh, first oh, take. Oh, so I was watching first take, and Max Kellerman was saying that, you know, a lot of credit has to be given to Kyle Shanahan. I'm paraphrasing. And that, uh, you know, you look at where Atlanta is, and, you know, they've been in a free fall ever since Kyle Shanahan left. And then he goes to the 49ers, and suddenly they're good. I was like, suddenly. This has been three years. It's been three years of blood, sweat, and tears poured into this team from John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, Robert Sala, these guys trying their best to put together a team that is capable of doing this. This was a coming out party for Kyle Shanahan. I think it was a coming out party for John Lynch. Not enough credit has been thrown John Lynch. He's the one who put this team together, of course, with Kyle Shanahan. But these players, these are John Lynch's guys. These aren't Trent Baalke's guys. These aren't these aren't anybody's guys, but they're Lynch's guys. You know, after the bust of Reuben Foster, after Salma Thomas going through all the issues that he had to go through, Jimmy G getting hurt in the third game of the season last year, derailing, or, you know, temporarily derailing that offense. You know, after the the the, the fits and starts, the trials and tribulations, this team is finally sinking up at a level that it's supposed to. And this yesterday was supposed to be the test that I think most people expected us to fail. And we dominated. We dominated in a way that I haven't seen in years. The play calling was phenomenal by Kyle Shanahan. His ability, his, what he did with that run game was no joke. Sherman is back to top Sherman. That interception was incredible. Nick Bosa, what can we say? He's the truth. He is the absolute truth. I am so pumped. I feel like Maybe it's time for me to start stop relaxing and just love the 49ers. I've been so nervous this whole year. I've had us at six wins for the season. I think we were like one and four on the Lost Goldcast episode where we did our season predictions. But I've talked enough. I'm so excited to hear your thoughts, Ray. What do you think? What? Hit me. Well, outside of the... The lack of, what, 15 points? Or, I'm sorry... uh, 14 points that Cleveland failed to put up. I this is more or less what I expected the game to be. I expected it to be like our two other blowouts. We've had three blowouts this year out of the four because we've played teams that I thought we matched up really well with. And when we had our preview the, that same day yesterday, that's kind of what I saw. I looked at the line of scrimmage and I said, "All right, what are the matchups here?" What do we have? Who do we have going up against? We have a very questionable offensive line going up against an extremely talented defensive front for us. In Nick Bosa, in Eric Armstead, in DeForest Buckner, in D Ford, who only played, he only he didn't play as many snaps as usual. And I think it's because the knee they want to keep the knee fresh, so they want him to be at tip top shape. So he's kind of coming in on, you know, really pressure downs, third down kind of situations like nickel packages, things like that, which is fine. And we still ended up with three TFLs, three turnovers, four sacks. Nick Bosa actually should have had a third sack because there was the one sack 
that they ruled a intentional grounding. But when you go into the replay, the knee actually hit the ground before Baker Mayfield was able to get the ball off. So that should have been a third sack for Nick Bosa. I'm curious to see if the league will actually go back because they do do this um, from time to time. They will go back and correct calls like that and will update statistics um, based on adjustments like that. So I think Nick Bosa should be credited with three sacks. He had a hat trick today when you really boil it down. But check this out. Here's the possession from the first quarter to the fourth quarter for Cleveland. Punt, interception, punt, fumble, field goal, interception, punt, 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 (laughs) and punt. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. Now, those those last punts I read, that's all in the second half. This is how many plays they ran in each of those punts. The first punt, four plays. Second punt, three plays. Third punt, three plays. Fourth punt, three plays. These are all three and outs. Baker Mayfield, how did he do today? Eight for 22, 100 yards, two picks. Odell Beckham Jr., two catches, 27 yards, targeted six times. Jarvis Landry actually had a decent day. Four receptions, 75 yards. He's their one reliable possession receiver, and that's uh, that's pretty good. But, you know, it didn't yield them any points, didn't yield them any better fielding position. Nick Chubb, 16 carries, 87 yards. He had some gashes towards the end that should have gotten cleaned up. This part of the thing that Kyle Shanahan mentioned in the postgame press conference that the fourth quarter was he thought they should have played a little bit better. But when you look at the possession... I mean, that part is great, but I think, again, this is the standard of Kyle Shanahan, which I love because it keeps these guys honest all the time. Even though we have four punts, they only had four possessions in the second half that were all four plays or less, he still wanted to see, you know, stellar ball. Like, hey, keep it stout, because don't give Nick Chubb those gashes. Don't give... Uh, Jarvis Landry, those possession receptions that keep move that potentially can move the chain for them. Don't do any of that. So he kept. Them Remember, hard. Ray, this is a, this is this is a coach who lost the Super Bowl. You know, the greatest comeback of all time. He lost that Super Bowl. You know, with the Atlanta Falcons. Kyle right. Shanahan. Well, he, Kyle Shanahan he has no that. is he not messing around that. when it comes to that fourth quarter. Yes, and he didn't. He didn't necessarily lose that. I mean, they they stalled offensively in that quarter, but the defense could not stop uh, Tom Brady. It's not like Kyle Shanahan was defensive coordinator and was calling the defense too, and had to go over and, and make those calls too. That was on somebody else who failed to do their job. A lot of people put the blame on Kyle Shanahan for that, and are like Kyle Shanahan didn't lose it. He just failed to score additional points to seal the win, and the defense, more importantly gave up all of those unanswered points, 25 unanswered points in the fourth quarter. Well, yeah, quarter. but I think and, and I but I do think I do think where that blame comes in is 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 in was in his inability to score as they continued into the second half. But who cares? 
Mm-hmm. That's not our team. Right. And yeah, it's not our team. Not our. And I think the, the lesson that Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan learned was that you got to keep the pedal to the metal because anything can happen. And that's that's the mindset that he has now that that it was a hard lesson to learn in the the game you would least want to experience that in. But that is where Kyle Shanahan's mindset is now. And I know he's alluded to this in previous press conferences. And that's where that hey, I want to see things get cleaned up in the fourth quarter. That's where that mindset comes from because any given Sunday, a team can come back. There's lots of great comebacks in NFL history from lots of great players throughout the, from all franchises. They, they've all got them under their belt throughout all different types of Sundays, whether it's in September or whether it's in February. And so Kyle Shanahan now re- realizes that he has to play the game where it's like, no, just like the Eagles, the one they, their approach to that Super Bowl win against Patriots was pedal to the metal from beginning to end. We're not going to stop. We're just going to keep going. And it was a shootout. And that's how they did it because the defense, the defenses of those teams couldn't stop one another. And that's how they had to play the game. And it ended up, you know, obviously benefiting the Eagles in that regard. And it worked out for them. The Niners possessions from start to finish. Touchdown. Punt. Touchdown. Miss field goal. Punt. Touchdown. Miss field goal. Touchdown. Blocked field goal. Punt. Punt. Field goal. So a whole lot of scoring in that mix. Very different from the Cleveland game. The running game was obviously amazing over 200 yards this was just insane 275 yards to 102 the passing yards were a little you know the, the running game was going so well that you know we all of our big gash plays were coming from the run versus the pass this time although when we got to the red zone we relied on the pass and Jimmy G made two really good throws one to Matt Breida one really wide open pass to uh, George Kittle who finally got into the end zone for the first time this season that was really great to see can't wait to see a lot more than that um, but Cleveland lost two fumbles they threw two interceptions they allowed four sacks we gave up only two we were 30%, 37% on third down. They were 9%. We dominated time of possession, 37 minutes to 22 minutes. Cleveland had seven penalties. San Francisco had four. A couple of those were actually, a lot of those were in the fourth quarter. That, again, goes along with the message of just staying disciplined throughout all four quarters, never letting up. Total yards, 446 offensive yards to 180. In fact, Jimmy G's passing yards, Jimmy G's passing yards were more than Cleveland's total offensive yards. He threw for 181 yards. Cleveland only mustered up 180 total yards on both the ground and the air. Um, and Jimmy, you know, say what you want. I mean, he was two for 29. That's extremely accurate, extremely efficient. Yes, it's not 300 yards and three touchdowns. Not every game has to be that way in a Kyle Shanahan offense, especially when you're amassing 275 yards on the ground. Matt Breida and Tevin Coleman both almost eclipsed 100 yards. Matt Breida topped the mark with 114 on 11 carries and a 10.4 average, including the 83-yard gasher in the very opening play of from scrimmage and tevin coleman welcome back tevin coleman who looked amazing i thought he looked terrific great 16 16 carries 97 yards including that run 
uh, that touchdown run, he averaged 6.1 yards. Raheem Mostert was still into the mix. Seven carries, 34 yards, averaged 4.9. George Kittle saw one run, which is a terrific play call. One run for 18 yards. Marquise Goodwin had another one, too, in the reverse, uh, the, the double reverse, where they, they flipped it back and flipped it back to him. He got 15 yards on that play. Um, just really good play calling from top to bottom. The passing game was great. George Kittle led the way on that one. Six receptions, 70 yards, a touchdown down the middle. Marquise Goodwin chimed in with three for 41. Kendrick Bourne got a couple in there for 24. Kyle Juszczyk, who unfortunately went down late in the game, got two catches for 20 yards. Matt Breda was terrific. Three catches, 15 yards, including the touchdown. Dante Pettis caught one ball. Debo Samuel caught a ball. Debo Samuel was more or less not a big factor. Ross Dwelly caught some caught a couple balls, but they were behind the line of scrimmage. They were for TFLs. No, that didn't work out too well. Jimmy G lost a fumble, but DeForest Buckner forced a fumble. Nick Bosa forced a fumble. Raheem Mostert recovered uh, a fumble. That was on special teams after, uh, yeah, Odell Buckham Jr. in the late in the quarter. That was one of the last uh, turnovers they gave up that led to the field goal, I believe. Uh, I don't know why Odell Beckham holds, holds the ball like he's doing one-handed catches all the, as, as often as he does, but that clearly did not work out well for him in that regard. Nope. Emmanuel Mosley steps in for an injured Akella Witherspoon, plays terrific. He has the batted ball in the red zone. Terrific play. He has the tight coverage on OBJ that forces him out of bounds on what would have been a huge yard chunk play. Um, just terrific stuff from him coming out of the game. Richard Sherman obviously was great. Kwan Williams got another pick. Quan Alexander remains stout. Fred Warner led the pack today with five tackles. Richard Sherman and Nick Bosa both... Uh, in second place with four tackles apiece. They were terrific. Jimmy Ward, the glass cannon, remained healthy throughout this game. And the I thought he played cannon. really well. <laughs> I thought he played terrific. He played when, when Jimmy Ward is, is healthy, he plays really well. He plays good instinctual ball, just like the rest of our secondary has been playing all season long. Eric Armstead chipped in with the TFL. DeForest Buckner got another sack. Ronald Blair, Solomon Thomas, they were kind of almost non-factors. They each got a tackle. But um, it, it's okay. You know, sometimes the the uh, the heroes of the game, it's going to be lopsided today on the defensive side. I really got to give a game ball to Nick Bosa for the coming out party. Even though statistically on paper it shows two sacks and two TFLs, really that stat line should read four tackles, three sacks, and two TFLs, or it should be um, three TFLs. So I'm going to um, – my game ball goes to Nick Bosa. I don't know about you, but uh, that's where I'm uh, going to – give my my credits due and especially with the uh the flag taunt after that one big sack which everyone's been talking about that's been literally everywhere today the it is so exciting as a fan when you sit through so many years of watching your team struggle of watching the team you love that you live and die for that we hang on every word i love the warriors I love the Giants, but I think I speak for the both of us when I say there's nothing like the feeling that comes from the 49ers being good. This is a football town first and foremost. This is the town that the 49ers built. This is not a Giants town. This is not a Warriors town. This is a 49ers town. And I love those teams. I'm not disrespecting those teams in any way, shape, or form. I, I live and buy those teams. I, we follow them. We we. we 
We talk about them here on the Goldcast all the time, so I'm no way I'm taking away. But this is just a fact. It's just a fact. Like New York is a Yankees town. That's just a fact, right? It doesn't it doesn't matter what other how many other teams they have in that city. That's a Yankees town. L.A. is a Lakers town, or maybe even a I don't know, Dodgers pretty close too. I don't really know. I, don't, I hate both those teams. In San Francisco, <laughs> in San Francisco, we are a 49ers town. This is a football town. And so when the Niners are good, it feels different than when any other team is good. When the Niners are good, it just, it electrifies the city in a way that no other team can do. It electrifies the fans in a way that no other team can. And, and it brings equilibrium to the NFL. It does. The NFL is better when the 49ers are better. This is one of the most storied historic franchises that's ever existed. We are right up there with the the Patriots of the world, the Pittsburgh Steelers of the world. We are right, the Dallas Cowboys of the world. We are right there, right next to those guys. We are. I, I, and what's, what's with, I don't know if you've noticed this, but have you noticed that this year they've been calling Cleveland America's team? And for the longest time, that was like Dallas's little moniker that I don't know who made that up. But lately, I've been hearing I heard I've heard people, you know, giving that moniker to Cleveland before before this game, obviously. But um, I've heard that. And I was like, where did that who started that? I don't know. What's I don't yeah, know. Give me a break. It. But still, let, let's let's go. Let's go to some of the frustrating things. Let's talk about this for a minute. The. The Niners, everything today is again about how awful the Browns are, right? That's the narrative today. It's like people can't accept that they're this good. The smart ones know. I, I, the, the football analysts, most of the football analysts that really understand how good the Niners are, how truly good this year, it's, it's, not, it's not coming from the talking heads. It's coming from the ex-football players that are doing the analysis up there. Booger McFarland, Reggie Bush today on Undisputed. These are the guys, Justin Tuck on First Take. These are the guys that when they talked about the Niners, you saw the look in their eyes. They're going, man, you know, talk. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they talked about the dominance of the 49ers, yeah. not the shittiness of Cleveland. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they, they talked about Shanahan's incredible ability, what he did with that run game. And, and let's be honest, and here's the exciting part. You know, he's doing that because I think he's trying to protect Jimmy G. We talked about this earlier off air. He's trying to protect Jimmy G. He's trying to make sure that he kind of eases him back into the system. But at the same time, it's still the most creative run run play calling you're ever going to see in the league. It's, it's not like he's doing it simple, man. Jan yeah. is a – his play calling is incredible. Incredible. Yes, and remember, remember, what, what we're seeing through these first four games is what similar to what we would have seen – had Jimmy G not got injured in week three against Kansas city, you know, this, the season that Jimmy G's having now is the season that we should have expected because that was going to be his first full season starting. And I'm going to expect some, a little bit of unpolished technique in decision-making, but I'm also going to expect a lot of polish on the accuracy of the throw, where to put the football, stuff that rookies will, th- those kinds of mechanics that rookies still need to polish out. That's the stuff that Jimmy G, Jimmy G has polished. What Jimmy G is going to be working on is 
big time decision making stuff that that is not you can't necessarily script although they do practice you know like crunch time two minute drill no huddle they do have all that kind of stuff that that they do work on just in case and jimmy g displayed some some prowess in uh in the five game win streak he had when he first when we first acquired him but that was in a after studying the playbook for a month and getting a really simplified version of that and working off a very simplistic version of that. And so that's why I think that's part of what helped him look as good as he did, but he also made very timely throws. He also did great in the two minute drill. He also did great in the no huddle offense uh, against Chicago. That was great. That was all great stuff. And now things get more complicated. Now we got to take a deeper dive into the playbook. Now we got to really step into the weapons that are going to be put around you and really utilize that. And he has, he's done, I thought he's done a great job. It was, it was intentional. It was scripted screen pass play against the Bengals. Some of that was checked down in Cleveland is what I saw, but you know, when he needed to make plays downfield, he did do that. He did do that. He made the pass to Brita in the red zone. He made the pass to George Kittle in the red zone. He did those plays when he needed to make, he scored, he scored twice with his arm in addition to having the ground score a couple too. Uh, Brita with the 83-yard run. And then um, Tevin Coleman with the 19-yard run. So don't give me this. I don't like to hear this crap like, oh, you know, because the stat line doesn't read, doesn't have the 303 mark, which is like, you know, the that's like the stand, the industry standard for a good quarterback game is 300 yards, three touchdowns. It doesn't always have to be that way. Yes, I know that the stat line looks more like Alex Smith-esque, the sub 200, two touchdowns. You know, Alex Smith had a never could had a has rarely eclipsed 300 yards and three touchdowns, but that will come. That will come. Remember, the wide receiving core is still not solidified, but you still have capable guys that can catch the ball. George Kittle being probably the best out of that. Marquise Goodwin being in a very strong second. And then it's kind of a mixed bag between Kendrick Bourne, Debo Samuel, Dante Pettis. None of those three have really kind of kind of really kind of solidified and taken that next step in 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 being that that dial up receiver yet. Yet. I'm thinking one of these guys will do it. It's gonna be either Kendrick Bourne or Dante Pettis or Debo Samuel. You know Jalen Hurd has yet to get into the mix and there, there was big there's big things in store for him as far as the playbook is concerned. That's been alluded to. So and I know he's dealing with the back injury, so we'll see him later this season and hopefully he'll be able to contribute. So and then we also have other tight ends too that can catch Ross Dwelly, a guy we drafted. He got into some of the action yesterday. Didn't do well on the receiving side, but is someone that's probably going to be more incorporated because we unfortunately lost Kyle Uzcheck for four to six weeks with a sprained MCL. He's going to get a second opinion because he believes that he can come back sooner. He's hoping to be in the four-week return category versus the six-week return category. I think it depends. I know he's eager to get back, so he's going to do everything that the doctors tell him in order to expedite the healing process. We know that Steph Curry had an MCL sprain uh, in the playoffs and then came back within about a month, I believe is what he came back in. So, And he did a lot of extra things to really expedite that healing process. So I imagine Kyle Juszczyk will be doing something similar to that nature. And unfortunately, it was just a bad block. Someone chipped, Someone basically took a really low block on him when he was trying to block, they got low and clipped him right in the right in the knee, right in the kneecap. It looked like, and it looked pretty. It, it didn't look bad, but when you see how 
how head on the 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 hit was you can see how perhaps you can injure something like that you have a you know a 200 pound pure muscle olympian caliber athlete you know laying their head straight into your kneecap yeah that's you're not going to come out unscathed unfortunately but when but that means that we're going to see a little bit more probably 12 man personnel the reason why they call it 12 is because one signifies a single back like a breda or a or a coleman or a rahim mostert and then the two in the 12 signifies double tight ends, which will, which will most likely be George Kittle and probably Ross Dwelly. Not seeing a whole lot of Selleck right now, but um, it'll probably be Kittle and, and Dwelly that'll take on the that personnel. We're going to see more of that because Kyle Shanahan has to make adjustments now. Now the run game cannot go through Kyle Juszczyk. Now it's going to have to go through somebody else. But I, I'm not too worried because Kyle... Shanahan's ability to adjust the playbook to suit the needs of the team's available personnel. We've seen that time and time again when it was at its lowest point, and now we're seeing it this year at its highest point. So I have more than enough faith that Kyle Shanahan will still have this offense humming and will certainly need to will certainly need that in this week's matchup that we'll obviously talk a little bit more about later in the week. Oh yeah. So Ray, I got a couple questions for you. Oh, you know what? You want to know something pretty cool? I was talking to Dad, the unofficial third member of the Gold Cast, and Dad said to me, our dad, Rudy Solis Jr., he said that last night to him really showed him that Kyle is as good as his father when it comes to play calling. He goes, his dad was a genius and he said, I think Kyle's a genius. Kyle's as good as his dad. He goes, and his dad was great. His dad was one of the best. And, you know, dad is often, he is often, often po- wondered what would have happened had the team gone to him over George Seifert. He, he, he sometimes has told me in the past that he, he kind of thinks they've actually, they might have actually won maybe one, one extra Super Bowl more at the time. But in general, great pre- play calling by Kyle Shanahan. Excellent. Just excellent game all the way around. I have a question for you. Uh, are you excited about next week's game? Very excited. It's going to be the biggest test of the season. It's going to also. It's also a division game against an opponent that's lost two in a row. They have the advantage as far as preparation is concerned. They've had the extra time since Thursday to prepare for us. They've got plenty of tape to go on. Sean McVay is one of the better matchups against Kyle Shanahan, but even then, McVay is the protege. He is not the master yet. Kyle Shanahan is the master. In fact, Kyle Shanahan is not only the best play caller in the NFL, but he's also the best play designer in the NFL. No other team in the NFL... And, you know, we watch a lot of red zone. We don't watch every game from start to finish, but we do watch a lot of red zone because we like to keep track of our fantasy leagues. And it's a good way to, to really see what other teams are doing offensively because NFL Red Zone does a really good job of keeping you in the mix and following the games that have, you know, the action, but also cutting over to, to games to show you what, what other teams are doing. And really, what, what I'm seeing offensively from other teams, including New England, no other team is doing what Kyle Shanahan's doing right now. This is almost the beginning of a new renaissance of offensive play calling that is once again being innovated and led by the 49ers so far through four weeks. The last time 
something like this happen was during Bill Walsh's tenure. And he had a couple really bad losing seasons before all of that came to fruition via the draft, free agency, and having the right personnel in the right positions. And that's starting to, we're starting to see that same sort of development, two years of really struggling, but competitive football with the potential there and the flashes there, but the health not there, the right pieces not, not quite there yet. And now that we're seeing most majority of those pieces in place with minimal injuries, although key injuries nonetheless, in Joe Staley and Kyle Juszczyk on the offensive side, Akella Witherspoon on the defensive side, this team has still not lost a step. Justin School has come in and played terrific. He's been terrific on the left side. Mm-hmm. He, there's been no issues. There's a, a couple of penalties the week before, but I didn't hear his name once called. You know, it's it's typically it's a good thing when you don't hear a player called on the offensive line side of the football. You don't want the, when their name gets called, it's because it's either a sack was given up or a flag. And I didn't hear Justin School at all. So I think that's a credit to how stout he was against, you know, a a decent pass rush in Cleveland. Not the best. I would say they're almost maybe a tier below Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh has a few more weapons there. The the big, the big, I mean, I think he was dealing with more Olivier Vernon, who, and this is a weird one. Olivier, Olivier Vernon is not a name that jumps off the stat sheet as a, formidable edge rushing edge edge rusher not in the same way that miles garrett is not even by not by a long shot but cleveland gave up one of their better starting left tackles for this player and i'm like okay well you're if you're going to get a player like that i don't think you give up an asset like that because now now we see what you know when you dip into the offensive line to uh, to acquire players we see what kind of impact that can have and Baker Mayfield's just having a terrible season. Nothing reminiscent of last year, or at least late last year. Certainly not in this game. Although he did play very well against, surprisingly well, against the Baltimore Ravens. That just, for some reason, is very similar to Kansas City. Where they'll get shootouts with you. And if you if you don't, if you can't match that, then it's going to be a long day. But if you can, you know, you've, you've got a chance. So, but enough about Cleveland. Yeah. Next week is going to be a really good game. It's a, it's a division game. And I think it's going to be the big, it's obviously going to be the biggest tests we face this year. And I think we're in a really good position to get a, not only put the NFL on notice for a second time, because clearly some people missed the Monday night game last night, at least based on their analysis of the aftermath today. But I think that it will not only send the message to those individuals but also send the message to the rest of the league that hey 49ers are coming and we are for real because Jared Goff is vulnerable he will make mistakes and right now they've got offensive line issues and they don't have their pass rush and secondary is having a lot of issues we haven't had that yet although we haven't faced a team that has as much talent as they do yet although we have faced talented teams that just necessarily haven't figured themselves out yet Cleveland being the most recent, you know, example of that, they've ha- they've got two pro bowlers on the whiteouts side, more than you can say for uh, L.A. And they've got Nick Chubb in there. Kareem Hunt is going to come later this season for them. 
So, you know, they've got they've got some pieces there on offense that uh, that the Rams don't, but the Rams have a bunch more established system. So, you know, that's the argument there. They've they've had a system for a few years now that, you know, they've really settled into and embraced and it comes through Gurley and against this rushing defense, I think once again if if uh, to to give a little hint, you know, if if we make Jared Goff one-dimensional, it's going to be a long day for him. It is, and we're going to be talking about that We'll be talking about a little bit later in the week, a full episode dedicated to previewing that game against the Rams. Is it time for me to stop worrying and just accept that this team is good? That's my next. I think so. I th- it's been consistent. It's been uh, outside of the the offense giving up, you know, five turnovers. This this team has been very very consistent. The run game has been consistent. The passing game has been efficient. <laughs> They just need to clean up, and again, discipline, polish. That's going to come with time. We saw that today, only four penalties. That's already starting to get cleaned up. We're seeing them get more disciplined. Yeah, a lot more disciplined. With the penalties, they're disciplined with the turnovers. So, you know, that's uh, that stuff's going to get cleaned up over time. Jimmy G's going to get better. He's going to get even more proficient with passing. You know, wait till he gets a whole season under his belt. You know, watch, watch what he's going to be able to do in the second half of the season. I guarantee you, if he stays barring, you know, any injury, and this goes for any player in the NFL, by the way, you know, he's going to, Jimmy G in particular, under this offense, this tutelage, he's going to be doing some fantastic things with the ball in the air in the latter half of this season. I agree. Okay, so we'll be back later on this week to preview 49ers at the Rams so pumped for 49er faithful Goldcast nation congratulations our team is back and they're not just kind of good they are super good we are like raymond like you said we are coming and i cannot wait the league has been put on notice and they're just going to get put on further notice this week this sunday yeah Brita's Brita runs over two, 22 miles per hour that was faster than christian mccaffrey's big run uh on sunday Christian McCaffrey was, I think, clocked at like 21 miles per hour with, you know, and some change, almost 22. But uh, Matt Breida, Breida the cheetah, as they call him, was clocked in faster than Christian McCaffrey. I love it. I love it. Ray, any final thoughts before we go? Enjoy the win. And get ready because in a couple days, we're going to have to talk about our next opponent because we've got a quick turnaround. And so I'm very eager to look ahead at this very pivotal game coming up here in week six. I 100% agree. Enjoy it. Bask in it, folks. We're 4-0. That we're still undefeated. Yeah. <laughs> but get ready. Yes, don't worry about don't worry about being excited about the win. It's okay to be excited about the win. Any don't think that you're gonna jinx the team or any kind of extra elation is is going to somehow derail the Niners efforts no matter what you think what superstition you have going on in your head you know the good news is that nothing you think or decision making decisions that you do in terms of how you want to look at this 49ers win is going to have any impact on how they perform this coming that's right even though we we all think it does it truly doesn't (laughs) if it did I would I would be willing to Willing my meditation to 16 wins in Super Bowls every single year. <laughs> That'd be easy. It'd be the greatest franchise. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. So enjoy the win and let's get ready because you guys are coming down here 
to LA to knock some Rams in the teeth. I cannot wait. Yeah, I, I, I would love to have. I don't know if Louis B, our resident Rams fan, is available. I got to get Louis B on here. I he know. is so salty right now. He is so salty. I would be if I was him. I, I mean, I'd be. I would be just every day being like, I can't believe I'm a Rams fan. Why did I choose this life? (laughs) (laughs) So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa I, baby. Boom. We'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time, same Gold Cast channel. Niners. Baker. <laughs> this is, is the gold cast.